It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In a recent episode of How Do We Fix It, we heard from the authors of Framers, a new book about how mental models and framing can help us consider problems in new and more creative ways. And on this episode, we look at age-old lessons from long-dead philosophers. What did they know that can help us now as we emerge from the worst of the pandemic? Ancient Wisdom for Modern Times. Eric Weiner. You can put down your iPhone and close your laptop and stop acquiring more bits of data. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? By almost any measure, the pandemic has been a global cataclysmic event causing great suffering and death. The mental costs and behavioral impacts of the past 15 months have yet to be measured. So for this episode, we looked back at some ancient as well as a few modern thinkers for help. And, you know, Richard, anytime we get on this topic, I'm always happy because this was my major as an undergraduate in college and still a big fascination of mine. And that's philosophy. Our guest is Eric Weiner, author of the recent book, The Socrates Express in Search of Life Lessons from Dead Philosophers. He's a journalist and author of several well-known books, including The Geography of Bliss and The Geography of Genius. We first released this interview with Eric in September of last year. Eric, welcome to How Do We Fix It? Happy to be here, Jim. Many of us are really struggling with fear, or perhaps we've lost a loved one, or a job, or have moved because of the pandemic. Why can philosophy help us now? Well, because it's been helping people for about two or 3,000 years. Um, the original meaning of philosophos, uh, philosophy is philosophos from the ancient Greek, which means one who loves wisdom. And um, that's what philosophy started as, people who wanted to uh, acquire some wisdom to help them with exactly the sort of times that we find ourselves in right now. And, you know, we we hear on the news a lot about how we're living in unprecedented times. Well, we're not, really. Um, Humanity has endured actually much worse than this, as bad as it is. And um, from the time of the ancient Greeks and before, they've been contemplating how best to cope with difficult, crazy times like ours. 
Eric, you wrote a great piece for the Wall Street Journal the other day called Philosophy for a Time of Crisis. And in it, you said, COVID-19 has humbled us, unmoored us. Nothing seems certain anymore. Good. What do you mean good? Because if, if you believe, as Socrates uh, did, that all philosophy begins with wonder uh, and with a kind of unmooring of ourselves and wondering what you're doing with your life, then it is good in that it, it shakes us out of our routine. Um, it's not good, of course, for in a health way or or in a certainty way or an ease of living way, but it's good in the philosophical sense um, that you're starting to question your assumptions. And that's that was Socrates' big bugaboo, is that people walked around with all these assumptions in their head, and they never stopped to question how they got there and what they were doing there. And, you know, the oracle at Delphi had famously proclaimed Socrates the wisest man in Athens. He thought, that can't be true. I don't know anything. But he concludes, at least I know what I don't know. And too many of us don't know what we don't know. We think the problem of our time is too much ignorance, but I would argue the problem of our age is not enough ignorance, not enough of the right kind of ignorance, the thoroughly conscious ignorance that, ignorance that Socrates celebrated, really. Um, if you think about it, all breakthroughs begin from a point of not knowing, of being aware that there's something you don't know. Now, you, you talk about the Stoic philosopher Seneca, who had this idea he called the premeditatio mal uh, the premeditatio malorum okay so your your latin is your latin is not fluent that's clear <laughs> well, does you anyone may, know how to, so you, how may wanna, you may want to you may want to brush up on that i mean my you've got year, you've got my, time now you've got time you know why not my one year of one. latin in ninth grade didn't didn't yeah. take me too far but i can give you the english for that which is premeditation of adversity you know right. really like imagining what the worst that could happen might be do you think that kind of premeditation of adversity would be a a good exercise to help leaders really be better prepared for future crises um Yes, and not just leaders. I think I think ordinary people. Um, you know, even before this uh, crisis, um, we would walk around, sort of trying to avoid worst case scenarios. Or we have a kind of inchoate anxiety, and the Stoics thought that the best thing to do with an inchoate anxiety is to to articulate it. Um, and so they would go through this exercise, premedito malorum. Uh, premeditated adversity and think about all the terrible things that can happen in your life. And you realize that A, they're not so bad, really, if you play it out in your head, usually not so bad. And B, you realize you don't really have control over them anyway. And so for the Stoics, their big wisdom nugget is that we don't control outside events. The only thing we really control is our reaction to them. I'd like to rewind this just a little bit. Um, you've mentioned the Stoics. Who were they and what was their great contribution? So the Stoics came into being uh, 301 BC in ancient Athens. Um, there was a, a guy named Zeno who had shipwrecked and landed ashore in Piraeus, the port of Athens. And he developed this philosophy that basically said, control what you can and let go of what you can't. Um, you've probably seen that on t-shirts, um, but he started it. 
some of what you're saying reminds me not only of the ancient philosophers, but also the Bible. Uh, one of my favorite passages is Ecclesiastes. And in that passage, there's a lot of discussion about how life can be meaningless and how we need to live in the moment. It sounds like a lot of what we need to know in this current crisis is ancient wisdom rather than just current knowledge. I would say both, but I would say we often confuse knowledge and wisdom. And we think what we need to get out of this mess, out of any mess really, is more information. More information we think is always better. And that's clearly not the case. Are we better off than Americans were a century ago during the great influence of 1918? Um, we're wearing face masks. And yet we have technology like the jet airplane, which has spread the virus around the world. And we have the internet, which has spread disinformation around the world. Um, what we are, don't seem willing or able to tap into is the sort of wisdom of the ancients and the more recent ancients of philosophers through the ages who have really thought about the human condition and about what's under our control, what isn't, um, what it means to lead a good life. All these questions that really um, your iPhone, as smart as it is, cannot answer. So the, the British musician, Miles Kington, once said that the difference between knowledge and wisdom is, you know, knowledge is knowing that the tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. You're listening to How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And we're interviewing Eric Weiner, who is the author of the new book, The Socrates Express. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're really pleased at How Do We Fix It to be part of the great Democracy Group. And here are a few words about another show in our network. It's called Another Way. This is Larry Lessig. For the past 15 years, I've done absolutely everything I possibly can, including a whole bunch of truly insane things, to help build the movement to get Congress to pass fundamental reform of our broken, some might say, I think I said, corrupted democracy. But of all the things I've done, certainly the most fun has been the podcast Another Way, produced by Equal Citizens. If you're enjoying the podcast you're listening to right now, then I can almost guarantee you're going to love Another Way. This is Larry Lessig. Thanks for listening to this pitch. Now back to our interview with Eric Weiner, recorded in September 2020. I love the way you approach 
these issues and talking about these philosophers via travel. You, you traveled to Switzerland where Friedrich Nietzsche uh, lived and worked for a good chunk of his life and other places. Why did you approach it that way? Well, I am a traveler by habit, if not by profession. I'm, I'm a place person. So in my previous books and in my life as a foreign correspondent for NPR, I've always been drawn to the power of place. I really think that um, where we are shapes who we are. And so these philosophers didn't just think of their ideas in a vacuum. So Nietzsche I thought of a lot of his great ideas, for instance, in the Swiss Alps um, and Schopenhauer in Frankfurt and Henry David Thoreau in, in Concord, Massachusetts. So to me, place helps illuminate ideas. Eric, you touched a little bit on this in your answer, but why are you so fascinated by the ancient philosophers? What what drew you to them? Because I... I had this hunger for wisdom and not for, and, and I find the usual sources of it in our life not fully satisfying. If we're hungry for wisdom in the year 2020, where do we turn? We can turn to religion. A lot of people do turn to religion for to answer a lot of the questions we've been discussing on, on this podcast. Um, some people find religion off-putting, uh, the organized part of organized religion in particular. Um, they find the leap of faith that Kierkegaard talked about difficult to make, and religion's not for them. We have science, and the social sciences included in that, but I always thought that lacked a certain soul and was dry and kind of bloodless in a way. And so I stumbled across, really, philosophy later in life. I wish I had discovered it much earlier and just found this sort of amazing source of wisdom. So, But it, it's like stumbling across a, a treasure chest and going, wow, I had no idea this was here. One big theme that runs through your book is this notion that if we can't change the world, we can change our perceptions. You talk about the Greek philosopher Epictetus, I may be mangling his name, I'm never quite sure how to pronounce that one. That's right. But he said, what upsets people is not things themselves, but their judgments about things. So if we're in a challenging situation and we're unhappy about it, how do we change our judgments about the world we find ourselves in? I would say in a word, by pausing. Um, I think we we tend to go too quickly from... um, action to reaction, something happens in our life and we immediately judge it. Um, And usually for the negative, at least for me, that has been the case. You know, you're, you're, you're stuck in traffic, two cars, people are stuck in traffic. And one person is, you know, banging the steering wheel and cursing and frustrated that there, you know, there's all this traffic. And, and the other person, the car next to him is, listening to NPR classical music and is enjoying the moment of being just being Um, same situation, traffic jam, two different reactions. And the Stoics would say that's life. Basically there's nothing good about a traffic jam and there's nothing, uh, you know, empirically good about the situation we find ourselves in, but our reaction is more up is up to us and more so than we think. (laughs) Jim just asked, how do we change our judgments? And you said, pause. Mm -hmm. Should we also do a better job? And I'm speaking to myself here. uh, Should I also do a better job of listening? I'm sorry, what did you say? 
should I? Should we also? That was a, that do was a, a joke. Hurt? That was a joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, didn't now, get it too slow. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought humor was allowed on this podcast. <laughs> yes, we, we we should do a, a better job of of listening to each other and of self listening. And I write about the philosopher Schopenhauer, who was a grumpy guy by any means. I mean, he he defined happiness as an absence of misery. I mean, he set the bar low. Um, but he had this love of music, Rossini in particular, and he would enter a sort of transcendent state when he listened. And certainly listening to music can have that effect. And he also thought, and he's writing in the mid-1800s, okay, so well before the internet, but he sort of uh, predicted the internet when he said, basically, you need to put down books and not look for answers in books all the time, read the internet, Google, uh, because you will crowd, and I'm paraphrasing here, you'll clutter your mind with the thoughts of others so that you won't recognize your own still small voice. And um, that is the kind of listening that I think we need to do more of. On, on previous episodes, we've interviewed Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff, who wrote the book, The Calling of the American Mind, I'm sure you know. They talk about young people being overwhelmed with anxiety and feeling threatened by ideas that they disagree with, like literally physically threatened. And they recommend cognitive behavioral therapy as a discipline that can help people cope. How do you think the CBT compares to some of these philosophical ideas like stoicism in shaping the way you respond to outside well, events? Yeah. Yeah, so 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 CBT cognitive behavioral therapy grew out of stoicism. I mean, and and some of the founders of CBT acknowledge that it came from stoicism, and it's essentially I think both stoicism and cognitive behavioral therapy say that we that that feelings don't just come along; that in a way we think ourselves into feelings, um, and and that we are responsible for our feelings, actually. When we say, oh, just this sadness came over me, a stoic and a cognitive behavioral therapist would probably say, well, let's unpack that. It didn't just come over you. Let's tease it out. And you will see that, in fact, you you thought it. I'm really fascinated by what this crisis that we're all living through will actually do to a lot of young people who may have felt fragile before it happened, um, whether it will strengthen them. Well, you know the famous quote from Nietzsche, right? No. Okay. Jim, Jim's, this, Jim's the Nietzsche ec- expert what, what, on our what show. Doesn't, what doesn't kill me will make me stronger. Um, and people have mocked that, saying, no, what doesn't kill me will leave me maimed and bitter for the rest of my life, you know? But uh, I think uh, the way Nietzsche meant it, there's there's some some truth to that. And being disillusioned doesn't have to be a negative thing. Why would you want to walk around with illusions, right? You think, in fact, being disillusioned would be a wonderful thing. So speaking of Nietzsche, now you're really on my turf here, Eric. Tell us how the movie Groundhog Day illustrates one of Nietzsche's core ideas. Well, it's called Eternal Recurrence. And it's an idea that came to Nietzsche on a walk in the Swiss Alps one day. And I walked in the very path that he walked um, when he had this idea. And it's essentially this. Imagine the life you're living now. Everything that's happened up until now, the good and the bad, will be repeated over and over forever, all eternity. But unlike the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray and Andy McDowell, you can't make changes to that life. You can't change anything. It's just that's the way it is. 
And so it's a, it's a thought experiment, I think. But as a thought experiment, I think it's very intriguing to ask yourself, can you accept all of your life, including the, the not so pleasant parts? Can, can you celebrate the idea that this is it? That there's there's no uh, right. there's no different version of your life and embrace it. Yes, or there's this marriage test, which is a corollary of this, which is say you were recently divorced after a long marriage, 20, 30 years. Knowing what you know, would you do it again? Would you marry that person again, knowing it would end that way? That's essentially Nietzsche's eternal recurrence in a nutshell. You write that we don't want what we think we want. We think we want information and knowledge, but we don't. We want wisdom. That's kind of a liberating thought, isn't it? Yes, you can put down your iPhone and close your laptop <laughs> and stop acquiring more bits of data. <laughs> we have definitely confused them. I mean, think about it, Richard. Like, Think of how much more human human beings as, as a species know than we did a thousand years ago, how much greater our knowledge, our database is, but are we happier? Are we really leading more meaningful lives? I would argue not necessarily because while we know more and have more, we are not wiser. That's a lovely way to end. Eric Weiner, author of the brand new book, just come out. The Socrates Express, thank you very much for joining us on How Do We Fix It? Thank you. I hope we fixed something here. Do we fix something? I think we did. Okay. I think we fixed, the, we reminded ourselves of the importance of wisdom. Okay. Fixed. Check that one <laughs> off. It was great talking to you guys. You asked some great questions. Best interview I've done yet. So thank oh, you good. very much. Oh, excellent. Thank Thanks. Um, and I'm gonna... Maybe you haven't done that many. <laughs> well, it was the first interview. I didn't no, I've done a few. Um, take care, guys. Okay, okay take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And now our recommendation, not exactly a work of philosophy, but also concerning a long-dead author. Yes, I've just finished reading a page-turner. Hamnet. It's a stirring book by Maggie O'Farrell set during a plague in Stratford-on-Avon in England in 1596. Hamnet turns to historical fiction and the imagined life of William Shakespeare to confront a parent's worst nightmare, the death of a child. I found this book to be moving and humbling and to be following alongside the life of the main character, Agnes, loosely based on Anne Hathaway. She's a free spirit, a mother, a wife, a healer who is profoundly present in every moment of her life. There are surprises in this almost poetic and quite short novel. I won't share them now in case they interfere with your pleasure of reading this book. No spoilers on how do we fix it. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. The book again is Hamnet. I didn't take issue with anything he said, which is a little unusual for, for our guests, uh, given how uh, skeptical I am. And I guess you are too, Jim. One thing he did say is that for many people, um, religion is just simply not enough. And I, I totally get that. But uh, Eric said that religious people seek answers from religion, 
And I would argue, at least in my case, that we're actually seeking questions. And I think that's also part of what is so beneficial about understanding some of the lessons from philosophy. I think there's a lot of philosophy in uh, religious texts. Oh, no question. In some ways, some of the world's great religions are really more like philosophies. I mean, Buddhism, if you think about it, is more like a, he was talking about how you can change your perspective on the world. That's what Buddhism is. It's changing the way you respond to uh, to the world. It's it's not a religion that's based around a deity or anything else like that. And I think that the that there's times when philosophy also veers into what you might call the the spiritual or you know the the metaphysical domain that overlaps with religion. One thing that that Eric did push back on, I think gently, and I'm glad he did, is this phrase that I've always been troubled with that Barack Obama uttered. It it it, it may have been the uh, uh, subtitle of a book, the fierce urgency of now. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that right now, this current moment is the most important moment ever. And what Eric is saying is, I think part of what he's saying is, you know, we are just the latest in a long line of people, foolish, crazy, practical, smart people who've come before us. You know, that's such a good point, Richard. And we, we talked a little bit about the the sort of high pitch and the high state of anxiety we're in politically in this moment. And there's so many people who feel that, oh my gosh, you know, it's never been like this. It's never been so bad that right now is the most intense, frightening, extreme period. But then if you look at world history, it's like, except for almost every other period in history. <laughs> but but certainly the pandemic is nothing like as costly as World War II or the Great Depression, which I'm sure led to many, many more deaths than we're dealing with at the current moment, and also the the incredible anxiety uh, that came with parts of the Cold War. Yeah, you know, the very real threat that a, a civilization-ending war could, could launch at any time, and it's, of course that threat is not completely in the rearview mirror, but but I do think some perspective, a long view can, can help, and I think it can even help people look for better solutions. If you take a longer view, you might realize that not every problem requires blowing everything up and starting over. Maybe it requires taking a deep breath and then tinkering and gradually improving things. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. We're a production of Davies Content. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. 
Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.